afternoon, Montreal. You're listening to CKUT 90.3 FM, and seeing as it is now 2.05, it's time for Movement Museum. I'm Alison Burns, here with J.D. Papillon and Jen Doan. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Um, If you want to listen to Movement Museum, uh, all our old episodes are on movementmuseum.com. You can also stream us live on ckut.ca, I believe. Uh, You can check us out on iTunes, on Twitter, on... Where else are we? Facebook? Everywhere, everywhere. Where there is social media, you will find Movement Museum. And uh, we should also mention that we love feedback. Uh, if you want to participate in the show, if you uh, have a topic that you would uh, find interesting if we covered, please let us know. You can contact us at uh, movement at ckut.ca. The summer months are always the slowest, so uh, let us know if there's, if there's something you want to hear, if you have a comment, or if you want to yell at us for a review we gave that was inappropriate in your, uh, in your opinion. Is that fair? So today, uh, we've, we, it's just, you're just going to hear our voices. We don't have a guest today, but we've got a lot to kind of cover, so we're taking the time to do that. Uh, mainly, we've got to get over these fringe reviews. We've also got a cabaret review for you and uh, our last uh, Montreal Complètement Cirque review a little later. And then we're going to be discussing kind of um, dance news in Montreal and abroad that is uh, relevant and important to know these days. So I'm going to get us started uh, with JD's help. We're going to talk about uh, some of the Fringe shows we've seen and get that out of the way. Uh, This was a physical theater show that we saw, and we had these guys in uh, the uh, the first week of Fringe interviews. And this was, uh, we had Colin Munch and Caitlin Morrow. Yeah, Yeah, there we go. In to talk about Sex T Rex presents Callahan. Do you want to get us started, JD? Um, Callahan is this. Uh, show that, that it's it's pretty much based from what I discussed with Colin on video games, on nerddom, on pretty much everything that little boys and uh, quite a few little girls actually grow up just admiring, which is this action hero, tough, rugged, handsome, and it comes from this love uh, of of just the, the genre, and they decided to turn it into a performance on stage using a lot of uh, stage combat, using a lot of props, and they really try to bring to life this uh, this genre of action adventure. And it was uh, it was just a really interesting uh, try. And I, I say try, I should actually say success, because I think that they created something that was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, Colin described it as an excuse for him to run around in a leather jacket. <laughs> really nice leather jacket, yeah. too. And it was it was very kind of, um, uh, oh dear, with the hat, Indiana Jones? Yeah, I, it, a lot of it came from Indiana Jones. A lot of it came from the video game Uncharted, um, which actually is pretty much based on Indiana Jones, so I guess it all comes full circle. But it just, there was this love for for everything that came before that was just apparent and it although it was uh, tongue-in-cheek it was never just absurd it was never mocking it was always in like very referential to everything that came before and it never felt like the audience was just being um, mocked for their enjoyment which I, I guess is something that could be difficult to do in in a show like that but they really succeeded in making it just this thrill ride that everyone just got on board mm-hmm. and just enjoyed so much. And it's amazing how they made that happen because you have four boys and one girl, or and uh, very very few props, very few costume changes or anything like that. It's very simple, almost no set. I think there was like a table and chairs and some scarves, and uh, they used their bodies to create these intense scenes and the scenery and um, all this action and just just group work to make to make the atmosphere really come alive. And that's why we let them come on the show to talk about it, because it was very movement-based, but also why it was so enjoyable, because it wasn't just text. It wasn't just a story being told. It was a story being acted out in front of you in full action. 
And uh, I really appreciated that. It was a lot of fun. There was a really strong understanding of cinematography, I feel. And that's something that I think that dancers and choreographers really could learn from because uh, they used time as in repeating some sequences, as in um, slowing down time to really grasp this uh, emotional aspect of some of the moments, to really get it, uh, to create this strong, powerful image that just worked so hard and that was just really good from a dancer's perspective to to look at, I feel. Mm. I think something interesting about the way they created the piece is that it was done through uh, a series of improvised uh, performances and they kind of became more and more scripted as they went along. And for me, you know, it's like uh, William Forsyth has, has once talked about one flat thing as in um, the, the improvisation gives something in timing that you cannot teach, you cannot recreate, that you cannot kind of pin down. There's something in timing that is very ephemeral and uh, that works really well with improv. And I think that's probably true in acting as well, where you can go by your impulse, uh, what to say next, but also when to say it. Maybe that's too no, <laughs> it's, it's for, no, for but this it's comedy. True. But I, no, I think that you really did grasp a good point there. Um, it's a show that even though it was based on improv, even though it had this authenticity throughout, I feel, it, which comes from the improvisation they started off with, it was still such a well-thought-out show, and it was really tied to. You never felt that... Some of the moments were just lacking. You, you never felt that anything was uh, was too much or wasn't rehearsed enough. It never felt like it was improvised, and yet there were like all of the positive aspects of improvisational comedy. Absolutely. Um, so this was this was Sex T Rex presents Callahan, and it's an improv uh, sketch comedy troupe from Toronto, and they're actually here quite frequently. So do uh, check them out any chance you get, whether it's Callahan or one of their improv shows, because they're a talented, talented group of people. Do you have anything else to add? Well, Colin uh, also performed in another show during the festival. He was one of the guests for Eeny Meeny Miney. And yeah, he's one of our storytellers. He was absolutely fantastic that night, too. And I, I think that he's uh, performed for Confabulation a few times. So, you know, another shout-out, I guess, to Confabulation because they have fantastic storytellers, and it's always a thrill ride to listen to them. Colin's just kind of awesome all around. <laughs> he also steps in for Uncalled For every once and again. So, uh, yeah, he's just a talented dude. Colin Munch, ladies and gentlemen, Colin Munch. All right, shall we close the book on Callahan? Which one is next now? Uh, I want to talk, talk about another uh, performance that wasn't necessarily a dance show, but was very physical that happened in the Fringe. It was called The Last Man on Earth. Um, they had a huge promotion campaign. They had their posters and flyers absolutely everywhere. They handed me a, a pie in the in the beer tent, and that's why I decided to go to the show. <laughs> they gave me a butter tart. I'm definitely coming to see this performance. Um, and it wasn't just hype. It was a really solid show. It was um, like a black and white uh, silent film, but live. So there's a, a gentleman at a piano playing the score, and uh, they're two male actors, two female actors um, and it's a very simple kind of story but it's told just with gesture. There are a few cue cards with kind of the sigh or the um, whatever information we needed to know for the, for the piece to move forward but there was very little text very little written or spoken text mostly just in action and it was they were so articulate with their faces and with their bodies and the story itself was just cute and simple and adorable and suited the, the medium so well and just a, a really talented uh, group of performers What's the name of the company again? It's the Keystone Theatre company it was a really um elegant way to tell a story in my opinion as i was mentioning for callahan it seems that 
those those companies who really do grasp uh, notions of cinematography because I, I haven't seen the show but I have seen a performance they did at the French uh, at the 13th hour right and they really got the codes of silent film down really well you were mentioning how they would use a sign sings high and stuff like that and you really could feel that there was this reverence for uh, the silent film era uh, from from the short performance I saw Mm-hmm. I think uh, there was a little criticism that I heard uh, floating around that that kind of uh, faded away in the middle of the show because the they stopped using the signs quite as often. There was mostly just um, mime. And uh, the, the piano player also had fun kind of referencing um, not necessarily tunes that we recognize, but... but moments in the sounds where we we appreciate okay this is a kung fu sound or this is just giving a scene giving a little bit more away with the sound and i think it kind of it it was creative within or taking that silent film base and moving away with it because it is live it's not a silent film um so it wasn't completely 100 accurate in the silent film medium but It's a performance. It's not a silent film. So. Did you feel that they were trying to explode out of that base and just create something new with it? or No, I just think they were stretching the edges where they needed to, mm-hmm. where they wanted to. That was The Last Man on Earth by Keystone Theatre. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what else they can, they can bring because there's obviously a lot of effort and thoughtfulness put into this production. And uh, yeah, you can't really go wrong if you work hard. Okay. Next up, let's talk about Set uh, Peuple de Feu, which was a dance show. Just to switch it up, we'll go back and talk about dance at the Fringe again. This was by the company um, Josine Fortin Dance. And again, we have a, a trio of three young ladies uh, performing this work. And it's a contemporary uh, dance show again. It's... There's a lot of comparison you can draw with Sora, which I talked about a couple weeks ago, which was one of my favorites, <laughs> in terms of it being kind of clean moments, um, little pieces put together, making one larger piece, moving from solo to duet to group piece to solo duet, whatnot, and not using any extra kind of props or anything like that, really just their bodies. I think they change costumes slightly throughout the show, but really it's more concentrated on the material. The difference here is that this piece was much more contemporary in the content. There were a lot of uh, interesting propositions as far as movement goes, and there was a little bit more flow from kind of section to section, I would say. Um, There was uh, a variety in the soundtrack of, of kind of recognizable pump-up music and, and some more abstract music and uh, a lot of text, um, voice recordings, which I honestly, they were in French and I didn't absorb a lot of them. I think I didn't feel it was necessary. I think my perspective on the show would have changed dramatically if I had been concentrating a lot more on the text, but then again, kind of discussing it with other people afterwards and, and wanting to know what what that added to the work. There, I, The reaction I got was, it didn't really matter. <laughs> They were talking about this or that, but it was uh, it was extra to the work. The movement was really where it was at. Um, so I wonder again if this is a tactic like in Sora with the lights where we kind of, they're, they're aiming to break it up and to use different senses and have us kind of think about something else for a while and keep us from getting bored or something like that. So I'm not really sure what the text was about or why it was being employed. But uh, the movement was great. The dancers are very strong. Um, I... There are moments in the work that are still in my mind in terms of movement. There's this kind of powerful section near the end. It starts as a solo and it eventually ends up as a group piece. And it's a floor work. And it's very much like back on the ground, knees up, and and requires a lot of arm strength. And, and it was really um, effective and it's still on my mind. And this was weeks ago. <laughs> so I think that is um, demonstrates a little bit of, of how I felt about the show. Um, yeah, well, could you tell us what made that floor sequence work better? Because floor sequences are 
can can be really hit or miss, I find, for the audience. Uh, a lot of the audience is not going to be really receptive to it, whereas some other members of the audience are just going to love it. And what made this section just like stick out so much for you? I think it was its its interaction with the music was important to me. I think a lot of the time when you're using pre-created music, uh, the tendency is either to choose something more powerful than your physicality in there and then it just doesn't work nobody's looking at you they're just listening to the music uh or the other way around and kind of just put it on the background and dance over it and this was a, like a really nice marriage of like a powerful dance um sequence and a powerful song and uh and it was consistent too it was one of those moments where you didn't want it to stop you didn't want it to evolve you kind of just wanted to keep seeing it and they just kept giving it to me And I appreciated that aspect of it. It was just very well thought out. It kind of followed a lot of the choreographic rules <laughs> that I was mulling over while watching it, if that makes sense. But I do want to say um, the interprets were Miriam Tremblay, Kevillon, Valérie Filbert, and uh, Josanne Fortin, who's the choreographer. So yeah, that was Set Peuple de Feu. And uh, the company was Josin Fortin Choreography or Dance. So I hope uh, I hope to see where this goes because again they're very young and she's very young and I hope that she kind of uh, keeps going because when it was this this intriguing at this stage, I can only expect it to get better and better from there. Okay, just a couple more. I swear, we're almost we're almost done putting Fringe to bed. I the Fringe <laughs> is a big festival. There's so many shows. It is. It is. Uh, we also had um, Sebastian Haynes in studio a couple weeks ago to talk about his show uh, during the Fringe. I think it was also the first Fringe interview episode, and his show was called The Upshot. It was a series of three solos, and uh, he really just told us about his part of the of the show and so I'm just going to focus on his section as well. He was the second performer and I think they were like 20 minutes each or 15 minutes each kind of thing and it's, it was started as a project at NTS um, and the three of them kind of banded together and decided that they weren't finished with it and they wanted to put it up on stage. So uh, his part of the production was a hip hopera as he let us know and um Again, this was one of those, okay, yeah, if you move in your show, we can get you on because it's movement museum. We're not just going to talk about dance. But man, did he ever move. Like this, this, he was ever so deserving to be on the show. The, uh, okay, I got to back up for a second. Basically what he did is that he did, um, he sang and he danced and he did some dialogue and it rapped a lot and played two brothers and a couple other characters that interacted with them and these two brothers are like a superstar hip-hop team um he was so clear with his movement that you would never doubted for a second which character he was playing you never doubted what was happening he, he simulated a car crash he simulated things like um memories like he showed us with his body going from one state to remembering something else he showed us an out-of-body experience again it's just him on stage with a chair it's he was so clear with the the audio and the movement he showed us these things that you really need like you know full lighting equipment and camera and all that business to uh to usually to accentuate and to clarify but he did it all with his body and with the the sound track so I was very impressed with uh, Sebastian Haynes, and I hope to uh, to see more from him in the future. He is, uh, I think, more a actor than dancer or singer, but obviously he can do all three. So I look forward to seeing more from him in the future. That was from the show Upshot, The Upshot. It was uh, three solos. He was the middle solo in that one. The very last, yes, we're finally at the end of the uh, Fringe reviews for this year for 2012 the very last dance show that I want to talk about is Rehumanize Me and this was a show created by a Concordia student and she had two interprets in the production she did kind of two pieces a shorter work 
that uh, is my understanding that she presented at Concordia and then attached onto this project. And then a longer half hour, 40 minute work, uh, 30, sorry, 30 minute work that she, that was a duet that she created on herself and uh, her female interpret. And the subject of both was, um, was, I guess, burkas and covering and um, nudity and just this this whole topic that's been on people's minds and in the news quite uh, frequently these days is the the morality of covering and the force to cover and force to uncover and what uh, what is right and what is wrong and it was a huge dialogue of that. Um, the first, I'm going to start with the first piece because it was a solid five minutes. It was a male-female duet that she created. This is a Alida Esmail, and uh, she had Adita Dixty and Joachim Yassin Martin um, dance this duet, and it was. You, I don't think you saw their faces at all, or maybe just a little bit at the end, but you see their backs. They both have open backs and long hair flowing down, and it's, it was really physical. It was really beautiful, um, and it was soft, and it was um, a little disconcerting, but not too much. It was really, I think, um, hit the nail on the head for me because you understood the message without it kind of being too in your face or or too complex. It was very simple in what it was trying to say, and it was very beautiful, and it was very interesting to watch. There was a lot of weight transfer, a lot of walking on hands and feet. Um, yeah, and I was really impressed with that portion of the evening, this, and that was called Who Knows, that piece. And then the second piece was called Rehumanize Me, which was a 30-minute work um, when she danced with, uh, with her female interpret. And they dance with and without the burkas on and with and without gloves and they you know at times are just in their underwear they have discussions about these topics and there's for the the majority of the piece i would say there's a really long kind of mix of sound samples from CBC and other places where people are having interviews and people are expressing their opinions on the subject and just female covering female nudity and the laws and the morality and the social circumstances and all this and that was a really interesting collage and it was really interesting to listen to there were no kind of conclusions made it kind of batted you back and forth in either direction but for me what the issue is is that that stood so strong and then you have these two girls um, trying to, to dance on top of that trying to say something else on top of that that really didn't didn't make sense to me personally it, it was um, irrelevant at that point because she had created, and this is what I was talking about earlier too, about having strong music and it and it kind of uh, diluting the dance. But this was like this this message and was so strong. This contemplation was so strong. Uh, I didn't I didn't absorb anything that was happening on stage. It was unnecessary and yeah, I just didn't understand it. I also didn't understand if she had been going in a clear direction uh, with the choreography as opposed to this kind of back and forth that's happening with the audio, then perhaps I would have kind of been led somewhere else. But I think it was just too obvious, too open, and uh, too overstated, uh, personally. And there was a moment at the very end, just before the lights went out, when there was these the sound of gunfire. And the rest of the piece had been fairly um, flat, as far as like pushing you one way or another, but that moment... Uh, honestly frustrated me quite a bit because uh, she kind of betrayed her her views or her her passion at the end and I didn't understand why she did that, where that came from and if it was an oversight then it was a huge oversight because that's a big statement to make and um, yeah, it was upsetting a little bit so that was Rehumanize Me and uh, that is the last show that I'm going to talk about for the 2012 Montreal Fringe Festival. Wow, that's big. We're done with the fringe. Yeah. <laughs> wow. 
Welcome back to uh, CKUT 90.3 FM, and you're listening to Movement Museum today, Thursday, at uh, 2.32 in the afternoon. I'm Alison Burns, here with J.D. Papillon and Jen Doan. You're probably exhausted at listening to my voice at this point in time, so we're going to have somebody else talk for a little bit. We have uh, another review for you from J.D. Yeah, I went to see the, the show, the musical theater show Cabaret by Music, Music Theater Montreal, which was uh, produced at uh, the um, D.B. Clark in Concordia University. And it's not the first time I've seen Cabaret as uh, like being performed. It was the second time, actually. And it's one of my favorite musical theater shows. So I was I went in with a lot of expectations, and I was really excited to see what they were going to have brewed for us. And it turned out to be a really good show. It, it um, Music Theater Montreal does uh, a lot of productions every year, at least three or four, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, they know their stuff quite well. Uh, and it's not, it's probably difficult for them because musical theater is not a big scene in Montreal. We don't have the pool of talent that a place like New York or Toronto are going to have. But they managed to make a really convincing, really strong, and quite emotional show. I mean, Cabaret, uh, from the outside appearance, is very much a fun romp. But uh, deep underneath, there is. Uh, th- there is quite a serious topic at hand. It's it's set during the um, the rise of the Nazi movement in in Berlin, and it centers on this cabaret in uh, in Berlin where a lot of artists, a lot of freaks, all hang out, and especially the last, the second act becomes this really strongly uh, focused on on that the rise of the Nazi movement. And the the show managed to hit all of the right notes when it comes to the emotional impact uh, that the show can have. Um, also, the the songs and dances were really well done. I found uh, the the choreographer decide, uh, and Flor de Rochambeau decided to focus. I felt a lot more on the um, the traditional choreographies without really going outside of the mold too much. But for one of the performances for Mein Herr, she used um, the, the the protagonist Sally Bowles as a sort of puppeteer with um, just man- manipulating two of the men uh, dancers on stage, which just really worked so well. It was um, it was a way for her to create this this performance that really stood out. I found from the rest and. Uh, the other numbers were good. They weren't as strong as that one because they didn't stick out as much, I felt. But she is very talented. She seemed to understand the codes and the norms of music theater really well. And the uh, performers were really interesting, especially the, the woman playing Sally Bowles really hit the nail on the head, I found. She had a strong, powerful voice. Her acting was great. My biggest... Uh, problem with the show actually was the role of DMC. DMC is the master of ceremony in the cabaret, and he is also uh, the, to some extent, the narrator of the piece. So he comes in and out at some points to, to talk to the audience, to really get us to interact with the show, and um, he also ends up being one of the most uh, revealing emotional moments at the end of the show. But it's a really difficult role. It's probably one of the toughest toughest roles in the musical theater canon that you can do. And I felt that he was kind of miscast. The guy was really strong. He had a very good voice. But when it came to the character as it was played before, uh, he didn't have the raw sexual energy that's sort of needed for the role. And that just made it fall a bit flat. And no, I, I'm not saying that the, the performer uh, didn't do a good job because far from it, like he really managed to get the audience involved in the show. It was just his energy wasn't exactly the right one for, for the character, I find. But uh, all in all, it was a really interesting show and it's something that even though I've never gone to see Music Theatre Montreal performances before, will make put them on my radar a lot more in the near future.
That's uh, I think that might be the first time that we no that's not true we have reviewed musicals before, but uh, it's definitely an, uh, broadening our horizons a little bit here on Movement Museum. So I appreciate that. The scene is growing a lot more in Montreal. I find there's more and more enthusiasm for it, which is a good thing because there are a lot of performing pr performers coming out of uh, the music theater program at uh, Lionel Gros Collège Lionel Gros. So it's good that the scene is finally getting a bit more traction. I find. Is it fair to say also people are getting interested in each other's, <clears throat> excuse me, disciplines? Well, the you more, see a lot more dancers acting and actors dancing. And yeah, actually, and Florida Chambaud does have a strong training from uh, the research I did. She, if I'm not mistaken, she's from France uh, originally, and she has a training mostly in jazz, but also a bit in contemporary dance. And you could feel with the movement she opted for that she's not limited to typical... Um, the the language of music theater and that she really has an, a wider horizon than that so I, I guess yeah people are becoming more and more interested in other types of performances well thank you very much JD once again that was cabaret yes great Uh, so I have our last of the Montreal Complètement Cirque reviews. Uh, we're closing the book on that festival. It finished on the 15th of this month. And the piece that I got to see was Petite Mal by the Racehorse Company. And we had uh, one of the performers phone in last week for a little interview. It was Petri Tuomien. And he was on stage with two other very strong men, Roli Kosonen and Cal Lito. I'm doing my best. <laughs> They're from Finland and Sweden and uh, all that across the pond. Um, three strong guys with a really kind of whimsical, uh, adorable, impressive junkyard style show. Those are the words I'm going to stick with. Um, so it was at the Théâtre Autrement, if you can imagine big beautiful kind of room and the stage is just cluttered with tires and ropes and there's this kind of cage that you see later kind of hoisted into the air it's almost like a really bizarre elevator but it's all just wire and not like a lot of wire just like very just the skeleton of the cage and there's this um the the pole with petrie's um The Chinese pole? Chinese pole. And it's tethered on four sides by wire. And there's a trampoline, but it's leaning against the wall. And they have these exercise balls. The big, like, you'd use them in yoga, you inflate them. Yeah, I've seen them, that in the video. It's them. fantastic. And they're blue, and they're in this, like, orange net. And the net is, like, hung up on the side of the stage. So you've just got this bag of, like blue balls in this orange net and it, the stage is, is like this this wonderful cluttered junkyard mess it's wonderful and uh they they come out and and kind of the 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 first thing you see is this these two by fours and, and petrie's kind of like playing with the two by four and like keeping his feet as far away from his arms as he can while holding himself up by the, the by the piece of wood and it's just kind of bizarre and you're not sure if it's supposed to be impressive or not and then um one of his his uh cohorts on stage comes over and just knocks the piece of wood down and he falls flat on his face <laughs> and, and you proceed to go into this kind of like bizarre fight slapstick scene that happens but it's all very kind of natural and honest and it's not like they're they're play fighting like they're they're fighting but it's silly and it's very real and uh throughout the work you kind of have these moments of slapstick like just just silly kind of picking at each other and and knocking each other down and whatnot and and it, they kind of naturally move from one scene to another they take the trampoline down the trampolinist comes on up and they do some trampoline work and then the break dancer starts going under the trampoline starts break dancing under the trampoline and then and then somebody else runs across the stage you see petrie run up the pole and and we're into the pole and then we're out of the pole and it wasn't like 
okay, now we're going to do this one, and then we're going to do that one, and then we're going to do that one, and then we're done. They kind of went in and out of the different uh, their different disciplines. Petrie was the was the expert on the pole, and then uh, one of the other gentlemen was uh, the trampolinist, and the other the last gentleman was uh, his expertise was breakdance. So that was kind of their three strengths, but all three of them sampled each other's um, works, some more than others. And there was also obviously work done with the balls, the exercise balls, kind of um, that is the trampolinist who who started on that. Uh, business and had the other two kind of joined in as well and then just kind of bouncing on them and doing some impressive um, jumps and, and flips off the balls um, just like a, a kind of a unique uh, twist that I haven't really seen before um, of the performers and I wonder if this is my perspective but for me it was the breakdance that was a less impressive uh, moment and perhaps again it's because I've seen breakdance a lot and I haven't seen a lot of circus and so Perhaps if I saw a trampoline all the time, it would be, I would feel the same way about that as I felt about the breakdancing. But it just didn't have the same risk factor as the other Breakdance is a bit too grounded, maybe, for when, when you put it next to trampolines, mm-hmm. acrobatic balls, Chinese pole. Yeah. There's something missing, maybe an element of danger, danger as you said? Perhaps the other thing he did is he he abstracted it by taking this board that was miked and and doing a headstand on there and kind of um, jumping with it and creating this kind of echo with the miked board. But it uh, maybe again by virtue of being in the contemporary dance world, I've seen people play with 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 break dance in a contemporary way. And for me, that would like some people are like, oh, his head. But I I just it didn't do anything for me. Um, and it, it, if there was anything from the show, I would cut it. Would be that <laughs> I didn't find it terribly interesting. Whereas there were other moments, like they did um, the board that kind of—it's uh, like a seesaw board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what they did is they had a two by f- this two by four through a tire, so the tire made the bounce, and like that to me is really interesting. And it goes somewhere. It's not just abstracted for no reason. It kind of—it's uh, still functional, and it's interesting. Um, They did mention, uh, well, he did, um, when when we talked to him last week, that when they started off uh, creating the show, they had barely any financial means. They picked garbage where they could find and tried to improvise with it and try to create and build upon it. Mm. So I feel that it's really interesting to see this this uh, will to create through using whatever means that they find, and, which is very true to the the spirit of circus in the first place i find and it's interesting because you really get this this sense of authenticity of the the circus trademark while bringing it further and further Hmm. yeah absolutely um i guess it's safe to give some stuff away since they're not performing anymore Um, but they pulled like a, a crystal pipe dark matters and destroyed the stage at one point and that was awesome uh, another thing I feel pretty safe giving away it's because it's on their promotional material is they create this image at the end of um, of a hot air balloon sort of it reminds me of up if you've seen the movie where the where the house goes away with all the balloons to attach to it so it floats away Um Just with the with the giant blue balls and the and the orange net and also the the cage I described earlier that's just wire and kind of all climb onto it. So and that's the kind of whimsy that's throughout the show. Just this really really sweet uh, sensitivity. There was a section that that was more vulgar and it, I don't know. They were like three Elvises with distorted bodies, and this is throughout the the work with the with the exercise balls. And it was, like, it was more clownish than the rest of the show. And and this slapstick business that I was talking about before was so charming because it looked unplanned when somebody would push the other person over that looked adorable. And, and it was fun for the audience. But this kind of grotesque clowning, for me, wasn't in the same realm of charm as the rest of the show. And it was, it was a little um, out of place, I found. Uh, but really... I was really thrilled with Petit Mal by the Racehorse Company. I really am looking forward to uh, catching them again one day. Talented, talented people. Yeah. 
And that's it for the Montréal Complètement Cirque 2012 edition. Wow, we are closing so many folders today. We're just getting getting her done. Our circus month is done. Goodbye. See you next year. Now, next on the program today, we're going to talk about some dance news. And I'm going to turn the mic over to Jen, who's been very quiet so far. Yeah, actually, I think I'm going to just speak really quickly. We spent so much time talking to dance artists in Montreal and talking about what's happening here. But there's so much more, obviously, um, that's happening in dance across Canada, across the world. Um, so we're going to take a little bit of time, actually, to talk about some exciting things that are happening I guess we're actually turning ourselves back into Quebec because I think this is pretty cool. I'm just sitting here actually as these guys talk and review, playing with my Instagram and um, trying to get some pictures of us in the studio, getting ourselves, you know, a little more connected on social media. Um, and actually, I think JD's going to talk about this. He mentioned that RQD has now an app, which is pretty cool. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about this app? Yeah, it's uh, it's this new mobile app that uh, the RQD uh, released. I think it was at the beginning of the month of July. It was on June 29th that they uh, first offered it, actually. And it's an app that's available both for Android and for iOS, so for iPods, iPod, um, iPhones, and all of that, that allows uh, the users to look up information in real time about additions, about coming shows, about uh, just dance news in 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 Quebec and in Canada, um, and just it's it's this really fantastic way for dancers to keep connected one to another and to the the scene in general, that allows dancers to just get information on the go to have one place for all of the information to be directly available for them. And the RQD has done a lot of really good things for the, the scene in Quebec. And I think that is one of the, the, the ways that they keep on, on at the front of everything that's happening and that really allows Quebec to have such a fantastic scene going uh, just by always innovating and always thinking of putting the dancers uh, on top of that and just being part of that scene. And it's a free application, so you can go download it either on Google Play or on, at the um, Apple Store on uh, on your iTunes browser. And just look for Quebec Dance Mobile. And um, I haven't used it myself yet. Uh, I've seen someone who has it on their phone, and it is so easy to use. It's the same company who did the uh, mobile apps for the Francofolie, for the Igloo Fest, for the Jazz Festival, and for the Opéra de Montpellier. Montpellier. And I actually now have one of uh, someone's phone in my hand <laughs> with the application. That's Isn't mine, that actually. convenient? Thank you, Jen. <laughs> and uh, actually, you have. One section for formations, workshops, training, one for events, one for shows, one for additions, one for a repertory, one for um, a babyard, so like a Craigslist, and one for just general infos. And it's so easy to use. Right now I'm clicking on additions, and of course since it's July, the only addition available is for Crazy Horse. So if, if anyone would like to do vaudevillian cabaret you can just go on the app and apply to the addition for the crazy horse parisian cabaret and it's pretty interesting to see just how many resources we now have available in quebec for that mm. and um there's a uh, jen we were talking about this uh this new organism uh, for the health of dancers you oh, were telling yes. me about? Organization? Yeah. Um, so I discovered this organization that's called Healthy Dancer Canada. And basically, their mandate as an organization is to... Their mission is to be the Canadian leader in facilitating communication and collaboration between the dance, the, the, the dance community and health professionals so that they can um, enhance the health and well-being of dancers, which is quite an amazing resource if you really think about it because um, as dancers, we are always fully engaged physically, emotionally, mentally... And, um, yeah, well-being is, well, I mean, it's important for everybody, but as dancers, we've got so many more things that we're balancing, especially because we're being so physical 
um, in our profession. And so they have a website. You can check it out. It's called Healthy Dancer canada.org and they actually have a conference coming up um it's not going to be really anywhere close to us it's actually going to be taking place in vancouver at the scotia bank dance center but it's just uh, really neat to just you know if you happen to be there or, or if you want to check it out um it's being held in september 2012 the conference and it's the fifth annual conference, actually. So this this organization has been around. I haven't even heard of it till now. It's gone. It's called Dance Myths and Facts. From what I've seen on the website, quickly, they have a repertory or a directory, I think, um, and that that can be useful, I guess, for people looking for like health professionals in Quebec who specialize in dancers' injuries. Because quite often that that is like dancers can't be treated just we we do have uh, very specific injuries and I guess it's it's useful to find a, a health professional who really knows how dancers' bodies are used and abused. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, even though this is a this conference is taking place in Vancouver, it's going to be including a lot of lectures and workshops, panels and performances as well. And it's going to be all centered around myths and facts of dance, and so um, focusing you know on common practices and beliefs as well as like frequently used. Phrases of dance performance and dance educations. There's going to be presenters there, performers, conference delegate delegates, who is going to be considering dance traditions and trends that are consistent with or contradictory to current artistic, educational, scientific understandings of the dance practice. So really, it's quite it's quite educational, and it seems as though it's really going in depth and taking a look at dance from different perspectives, different um, different types of uh, involvement people in the community so not just you know dancers and performers in themselves but really just yeah all around so super interesting check it out healthy dancer dot uh, healthy dancer org, and they kind of operate kind of like the dancers transition center where they you have membership so you can check all that out and see what the the prices are and, and what kind of benefits you would get as a dancer being a member of healthy dancer canada Um, there's another big news that came about in that came out in June or July, I think, um, which is the the new Maison pour la Danse de Québec, which will be an investment of 3.25 uh, millions for the creation of this Maison de la Danse de Québec, and the Québec like Quebec City dancing has been growing exponentially in the past few years. Uh, a lot of that is owed to the La Rotonde Centre in Quebec City, which is now held by um, Harold Réom, if I'm not mistaken. And the, the, there is also the, the École de Danse de Québec, which has been doing a lot, producing very uh, quality dancers and choreographers. And I think that it's good for a city like Quebec to have this evolution in the dancing to really have more uh, more of a place where dancers can train, can be uh, creative with a lot more means for like especially tech- technical and technological means for the um, the creation of new pieces. And I mean, with three point. 25 millions uh, they will be building new studios uh, locals for the administration a documentation center and other services and it, there's been a lot going on especially during the summers uh, Harold Réaume with Le Fils d'Adrien Danse produces a free show that's performed in the city of Quebec every summer now for two summers in a row there's the free uh, Cirque du Soleil show also that's happening right now that was choreographed by Sasha Kleinplatz and Andrew Tay. Uh, just so many good things happening in Quebec City. And for a lot of Montreal performers who might want to look at a new, new areas where they can present their shows or residencies that they could have access to that's not too far from Montreal, I think that Quebec's really growing and creating its place on a map, on the map right now. Actually, just in terms of um, the growth of, of Quebec, in terms of dance, we're taking a look at arts funding. Um, there's a really nice article here on the Dance Current, written by Naomi Brand, which is actually um, a dancer that um, I know we we studied at the University of Calgary together, and um, just talking about funding Montreal in terms of um, Canada's five largest cities. 
um, in terms of per capita figures, Montreal is the top, has $55 per capita. In comparison to Vancouver, which is $47, Calgary, $42, it's in the middle there, Ottawa is $28, Toronto is $19. And uh, what's happening right now, it seems, is that uh, they're restoring in Toronto some of their art grants and their their community grants to the level of the 2011 because some of it was at risk during the upcoming months of the budget this year. And what's kind of cool is that they basically were able to reverse this threat to their, their funding with um, the help of hundreds of citizens who contacted their counselors and signed a Friends of the Arts petition. So that was pretty cool that that happened in Toronto, but they're still struggling. And in BC too, if you guys didn't know this, there was a freeze in their funding, like for three a three-year freeze. Um, and so BC was really suffering a lot last year. And um, in the article, it talks about artist Josh Beamish, he surely gets around. He's come here and presented work at 303 and, and, and stuff for the last uh, little while. I think he's had a couple of shows here in Montreal in the last couple of years. He's un- had one at Tangent this past year. Oh, yeah, Tangent, and I think of 303 was last year. And um, yeah, he's talking about the cut, the funding cuts in BC and um, the challenges of, of being able to keep artists in 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 the province and in their in their place to develop. So what he's doing is he's moving his company to New York City, which is not such a bad thing. Yeah, especially for a choreographer like him. I remember talking with him about his move to New York City. And he was saying that the audience uh, in in Vancouver was not as receptive to his work as the one in New York City. And it's... I, I think that the more uh, arts grants are going to be taken seriously, the more the audience can evolve with the choreographers and become welcoming to, to new proposals. And I think that that's part of why arts grants are so essential it's not just for the artist it's also for the audience definitely so um i think that's all the time we have today for movement you seem it is thank you so much for listening uh i'm just going to go through the huge list of how to talk to us one more time you can go to movementmuseum.com check us out there you can go to itunes to twitter to facebook check us out at movement museum uh you can also contact us at movement at museum.ca if you have something to add if uh you have any comments or any suggestions or anything like that thank you so much for listening and we'll be here again next thursday from two to three on ckut 90.3 fm take care